0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. I hope this series has been helpful to you so far as we've looked at this concept of the people of Israel going back from 70 years of exile back to their home city, the place of their birth of Jerusalem, to rebuild the altar to rebuild the original temple on its same spot, to rebuild their community and to restore the walls of Jerusalem in a significant moment. And the reason we're doing this teaching series, because I I had another one lined up. It was a good one. Uh, We're going to talk about Battle of the Mind. We'll do that later on in the year. But this felt really significant for us as Freedom Church because the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, it it reflects where we are as Freedom Church right now. What is God leading us into? How do we restore our community? How do we make sure that the altar is right at the centre, that we rekindle our worship? How do we make sure that our hearts are turned towards God, that we are restoring our neighbourhood, that we're not, you know, we are rebuilding those walls, we're looking outward, not just inward. And so I believe this story of Ezra and Nehemiah and last week's Zerubbabel is a story, a prophetic story and a historical story that we can learn from as Freedom Church. As we move into the possibly a post-COVID era, what does it look like for us? And I want to consider how it Helps us understand our four different values as Freedom Church to be a place of encounter. We talk about rekindling our worship, of gathering and growing. And this week talking about reviving the church and about influence. Next week we'll look about reviving and restoring our neighbourhood. Those values that were there embedded in the story of Israel are also our values today. So can I encourage you to get hold of your Bible? We're going to use some scripture today, uh, the book of Ezra. And if you're able to get hold of the Bible, um, either turn it on if you've got an online version. uh, The book of Ezra, just near the beginning of the Old Testament. And we're going to start in chapter 7. So if you can turn to chapter 7 and we're going to start reading a few verses there. It's so important we have our scripture to hand. Let me just pray for us as we just read from the word of God. Father God, I want to pray that your word will be powerful. Would it speak to us? would you bring these words to life to us as Freedom Church today? Would it not just be an ancient document, but would it be the very breath of your spirit to us? We pray. Amen. Amen. So here we go. So verse one in Ezra chapter seven says this. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was a son of lots of different people. Basically, he was the relation of Aaron or Aaron, the original uh, high priest. He was the original high priest and he was related to him. And so that takes us all the way down to verse six. This Ezra was a scribe who was well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. And then, if we jump to verse 10, it says this was because the reason that the gracious hand of God was upon him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Ezra was a man of the word. Yes, he didn't have the full canon of Scripture. He would have had the Torah, but he was a scribe. He was an academic. He knew the Word of God. He understood it. He understood it really well. He studied it. And because of his studying of the Word of God, because he taught those decrees well, the Spirit of God was upon him. The gracious hand of God was upon him because the people um, knew that he was uh, someone who followed the Word of the Lord. And in this story, you have this moment where King Artaxerxes, declares the favour of God upon Ezra and sends him and exiles back to Jerusalem. Does this sound familiar? Last week, we had a different king, King Cyrus, and he sent, um, he sent Zerubbabel back to, to Jerusalem. This week, it's King Artaxerxes sending Ezra. Next week, we have another king sending another leader back to Jerusalem. Three characters, three repeating stories of God's gracious hand from the power and the government of that time. So if you read through the book of Ezra, um, you then get to Ezra chapter 7. In chapter 7, it's like a list of all the people that went through, uh, went back with Ezra. And then you get to this moment when they arrive. And there's loads more we could talk about, about their journey there. But when they arrive in chapter 9, they have this moment where Ezra realises some of the practices that the people who've been left behind in Jerusalem have been up to. And it says this in verse 1. When these things have been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other people living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians and Amorites. He's talking there about the behaviour of people. And he says there in verse three, we jump to verse three uh, because... Ezra is saying here, you know, what is going on? He's hearing the stories of the people of God, the people of Israel who are meant to be following the ways of God have started following the ways of the world and the people that they're connected with, the tribes that they're interacting with. They've suddenly changed. Even the Levites, even the priests, the people who are meant to be setting the standard. In verse 3, when I heard this, it said, I tore my cloak and my shirt. I pulled hair from my head and beard and I sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And it says, I sat there utterly appalled until the time of evening sacrifice. Hopefully you can hear what's going on here. Ezra is beside himself. He's turned up in Jerusalem and he's found that people are not just misbehaving, they've lost their way. They're becoming part of the world rather than part of the kingdom. They've lost their their way of following Jesus and following God's ways at this time. They're following the ways of others around them. So at verse five, it says this, "'At the time of the sacrifice, Ezra, I stood up from where I had been sitting in mourning with my clothes torn.' I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord my God. And he prayed these words O oh God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Then we jump down to verse 15. It's a long prayer that Ezra prays. He says, he finished these words in verse 15. Oh Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped remnant, though in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. This is a really tough scripture to read. Ezra's returned, the people are behaving terribly and he's trying to go, God, we are so sorry. We're so sorry for what we have done, the behaviour we have done. And at the beginning of uh, chapter 10, verse 1, While Ezra prayed and made this confession, weeping and lying face down on the ground in front of the temple of God, a very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women and children, gathered and wept bitterly with him. Suddenly everyone realised Ezra's right. We've lost our way. He's pointing us back to truth. He's pointing us back to the Word of God. We've become comfortable. We've become accustomed. We've become lukewarm, as Jesus said in Revelation 3. We're no longer hot. We're no longer cold. We've suddenly become just lukewarm. We've just become everything to everybody. And we don't know what we stand for anymore. We haven't got any clarity because we've decided just to follow the ways of the people around us rather than the ways of God himself through the Word of God. And it took Ezra to return to Jerusalem. To declare it's more than just a building, it's more than just an altar, it's about our hearts turning back to God. And we talked to me the last few weeks about renewing our hearts. We talked about rekindling our worship, putting Christ back at the centre, giving him our full attention. But today I want to talk about how do we revive the church? Because what Ezra was doing was reviving the people of God. He was saying to them, this is not acceptable anymore. We've got to change. We cannot just carry on as we are, just trying to fit in with the community around us. Revive, revive means to restore from a depressed or an inactive or unused state to bring back. Now, I know the word revive in church world can sometimes be misunderstood. We can think about revival, people queuing up just to get into church meetings, to find faith, to find salvation. And there's a place for that kind of revival. But revive in its normal sense means to get back to how it should be, to bring it back to being full of the Holy Spirit once again, where it's so easy to lose our way. And and hear me, church, I believe we're at a time where there is going to be a great awakening, I am sensing around our nation and nations a hunger for God like never before. I shared this morning online a story from the Guardian newspaper of, of three of our uh, young footballers who were just recently, let's not talk about the Euros too much, but they got to the final and that was amazing. But to hear these stories of young men who are confident in their faith in God and are not ashamed to sit in a dressing room reading a Bible in front of all their celebrity football friends. It's okay to have a Christian faith. And I believe There is awakening coming and it needs a church that's alive, a church that's saying this is the way, let's follow in it. The the, the world is looking around for challenge, not just for mediocrity. It's looking for people that can say there is a different way to live your life, not just be like everybody else. And are we willing to be revived as a church so when the world gets awakened, we know how to say, come, join us. We know where we are going. A revived church A revived church looks different to the rest of the world. A revived church must always look different. If it looks the same, it's meaningless. If it's just a club, if it's just a charity, if it's just an organised sing-along, that's not church. Church is the people of God that gather together to describe who God is through our worship, to tell the world about Him, to be a light on the hill, to stand tall, to say, this is who we worship and declare our our love of Him in every aspect of our lives. That we go out from here and we change the world like scattered servants making a difference everywhere we go. That's what church is about. It's this, this, you know, this kind of place where people commune, commune together, yes, but then we go and we make a difference everywhere we go. That's a church I believe in. A, a church that's got life and energy and passion and looks different to the world around us. The people of Israel, when Ezra went back, they didn't look any different to the people they were living with. They'd become accustomed to the customs of the world and we need to change. A revived church looks different. Ephesians 1 says this in the message version, the church you see is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. We're not called to be so blended, we can't tell where one starts and one, sto- uh, one starts, one stops. The church is meant to be different. We're meant to tell a different story. We're called to be different. But so often I can look at our church today, I can look at the church today, and I think it's a bit like the people of Israel at the time of Ezra. When you look around and going, we can look a bit like everyone else. We can look a bit the same. We can look so similar. We've worked so hard to make ourselves so relevant we actually don't look any different and we need to get back to the important things of not being different for the sake of being different. I'm not talking about going, going down weird world again and going into crazy land. I'm talking about going back to the word of God saying, what does God say? How should we be different? And I want to put to us to be different, there are two things we need to consider this morning, two really challenging things. This is a tough talk to be able to give Because I believe that if we are so engaged with the ways of the world, like the people of Israel in the time of Ezra, that actually we're looking no different to those around. The people have been sinning and maybe there is sin in our lives. Because I believe a revived church is a repentant church. A repentant church, what I mean by repentance is not a word we often talk about. It's about turning away from things that are not of God of choosing to live our life God's way. Repent is about turning away. Sin, sin is doing things that upset God, that are against God, that offend God, to stop sinning and to live our life God's way. Romans 3 says these words, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has made a mistake. There is not a grading system of good sins and bad sins. It's all sin. God doesn't go, well, you're not as much of a sinner as that one. We have all sinned. None of us have met God's standards. We have not achieved enough in our own abilities to get ourselves to heaven. We are reliant upon the goodness and grace and mercy of God. And we have all fallen short of his standard. And when, if we want to revive our church, it starts with being repentant. It starts recognising we have done some things wrong, that we have become lukewarm. We have become uh, mediocre. We need to be people who say, actually, enough. Are we going to get back to the word of God? Are we going to get back to walking his ways? Because a revived church is a repentant church. And repentance is a powerful thing. It says, "I'm not happy with where I've got to. I want to change." But the second thing, a revived church, I believe, is a Bible-centered church. Yes, it's really important. We understand the stories that make up the Bible. We hear some of the threads and the themes that, that roll without, through it. But we also need to grapple with some of the tough stuff in the Bible. We need to be people of of God who say, "Actually, what does the Word of God say?" Ezra held the Word of God high and said, this is really important to us. Are we willing to understand the Word of God is the breathed Word of God? His spirit lives within this document. It's not just an academic uh, study book. It's not just a book of stories for children and big colouring pictures. This is the Word of God, the people of God, the story of God. Are we willing to revive our passion for God's Word? There's this lovely moment in Nehemiah chapter 10 where Ezra stands on this platform and a crowd is gathered around Ezra. And there's this moment where he, where he um, stands up on the platform and he opens the word of God. And it says in Nehemiah 10, as he opened the word of God, the people stood. The people stood. And, 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 and actually, maybe while I'm even doing that, maybe in locations, you can just stand. If you're even watching at home online, you just stand and going, it's the word of God. And yeah, go on, stand, take a moment. As we open the Word of God, yeah, you can do it here in the studio as well. You can stand, you can help me out here. As we open the Word of God, we stand and we say, it's really important. It's really important to us. I remember when I was a child, whenever someone read from the Bible, we all stood because we wanted to say, this is really important. The Word of God is really important. I remember a few years ago I was preaching at the Romsey Abbey and before I came and spoke on Pentecost Sunday they paraded the world's biggest Bible, I've never never seen a Bible so big, they paraded it down the middle of the aisle of Romsey Abbey, they held it aloft and they declared how valuable the Word of God is. The Word of God is important. I know last year we found it a little bit strange and amusing where the President of America walked across the streets uh, surrounded by policemen to hold a Bible slightly awkwardly aloft and it felt uncomfortable. But the Word of God is important. It's valuable. And we want to make sure we're putting it on a platform. The platform was not for Ezra. The platform was for the Word of God. Are we lifting up the Word of God? Is it important to us? You can take a seat now if you're still standing. Uh, Thank you so much. But I came across this verse in Psalm 119, which I think is so important, especially for the younger generation today. It says this, in Psalm 119, how can a young person stay pure? How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. And if you're worried about the next generation, and if you're in the younger generation, you're not sure how to stay pure, the answer is in the word of God. But how will young people know the Word of God if they're not taught it? How will they know if they're not taught how important it is, how valuable it is, how essential it is? Please can I encourage you, let's be people of the Word. Let's make sure we're not just having unity at any cost. That we just stand for anything, but we stand for the word of God. That when we we understand the word of God, it is the most powerful thing. The Bible talks about it being like a two-edged sword, a sharp sword that can cut through marrow and bone. That's the word of God. What do we stand for? I came across this uh, quote this week uh, by Malcolm Duncan. Malcolm is a, a pastor in a church in Ireland, but he wrote a book on unity and he said these words. Shallow unity will avoid the question and paper over the cracks. Shallow unity will seek peace and harmony over truth and conviction. Aggressive fundamentalism will dismiss the conversation, disregard the views of those with whom it disagrees and refuse to listen. What does biblical unity look like, he says? It will keep the Bible open and keep a commitment to robust and challenging love even more open. It will not sacrifice truth on the altar of grace, nor will it sacrifice grace on the altar of truth. It's okay to have disagreements, but let's make sure we keep the, word of, the God, word of God central to all we are. If we want to see a revived church, and I want to see Freedom Church alive, I want to see it flourishing, I want to see it you know, vibrant as a community of believers, as we've talked about already, it needs to be different to the world. It needs to be a repentant community, and it needs to put the Bible at the centre, the Word of God. And so, as I wrap this up, my my challenge to you, and Hannah, yes, please feel free to start playing at this point. My challenge to you, and this is a tough one, but I want to say this: Are there sinful acti- Is there sinful activity in your life right now? Are there things that you know are not pleasing to God? And I ask myself the same question, are there things in my life that I know are not pleasing to God? Are we willing to be repentant? Jesus says to repent, and be baptised. It's as simple as that, to turn away from your wicked ways and to say yes to following Jesus. Maybe there's some of you today that need to say, it's my turn to get baptised. Say say sorry for what I've done and to decide to follow Jesus. And that is your public declaration of my faith through the water of baptism. We may be in locations, we may be apart, but I'm well up for putting up a baptistry pool anywhere we can find um, some water and we will baptise people and declare we're choosing to repent and be baptised. Are we willing to get ourselves in line with the scripture of God? Rather than worrying about, you know, nice coffees or, you know, new songs, we talk about ancient scriptures that still speak truth today. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge myself. Are we a repentant community? Are we willing to say, God, I'm so sorry where I've got things wrong? And so I want to invite you now, um, and I know it's not going to be easy for everyone, but if we can find a way, I'd like to invite you to to kneel, to kneel with me and just to take a moment to say, actually, God, I want to kneel and and I want to get on the floor and say, God, I want to be like Ezra was. And he declared that prayer. It said there in verse, in verse uh, chapter nine, it says this, "Um, I stood up from where I sat in mourning, my clothes torn, and then I fell to my knees. And I lifted my hands the Lord my God and I prayed, Oh God, I am utterly ashamed. I am utterly ashamed. Lord, I, I want to pray today. Can I encourage you to pray? Take a time, take a moment to pray and to declare, God, you are more important than the world around me. Lord, we are sorry where well, we have sinned. We are sorry where well, we have become accustomed to being so like the world, we look no different to the world. We've become lukewarm. We're neither boiling hot or refreshingly cold. We're somewhere in the middle and it's become mediocre. Lord, we are sorry where well, we've turned from you, where well, we haven't followed your word, where well, we haven't followed your ways. Lord, I pray for all those who are part of Freedom Church who are watching and participating now, would we be a revived church that gives our attention first and foremost to our God, which we can learn about through the word that you gave us, the Bible. Lord, we turn from our wicked ways and we choose to follow you, to live your way, Even though that might be costly and challenging, we choose to live your way. And I also want to give a moment for maybe those here who are with us today who are just going, I I want to choose to follow Jesus. I want to make a declaration. Maybe you've never made that choice before. Maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus. I want to invite you today as we've taken this moment to say yes to following him. So I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to live His way. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray the prayer that says, God, I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong. I choose to follow you. And I ask your Holy Spirit would fill my life anew. Amen. And if that's you, if you've chosen to follow Jesus today, and if you've made that declaration for the first time, please speak to someone, whether you're online or whether you're in a location, they would love to help you take the next steps of following Jesus. We want to be a repentant community, full of God's grace and love. Focus around the spirit of God we find in the words, breathed in scripture. God, we declare that you're an amazing God. And so, Lord God, I wanna just pray that you would be with us as we worship now. And I pray your spirit be amongst every location, that we would know your presence, that as we gather and as we scatter, you would be at the heart of all that we do. In your name, Lord God, we ask these things. Amen, amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk.